2023 to order. Roll call, Mr. Steele. Thank you. Commissioner Alexander. Here. Commissioner Fisher. Here. Commissioner Lamb. Commissioner Matamidi. Here. Commissioner Sanchez. Here. Vice President Wiseman Ward. Here. President Bogus. Here. Thank you. All right, uh, at this time we'll go to item B, a closed session. Uh, at this time before the board goes into closed session, I call for any speakers of the closed session items listed in the agenda. There'll be a total of five minutes for speakers. Are there any public comment cards in person? There are not. Are there any speakers for public comment? I'm seeing no virtual participants. Okay, uh, seeing none, we will now recess the meeting at 5.03 p.m. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
convenes open session. Uh, I'm going to start by reading our land acknowledgement, um, and then we will read the report out from a closed session. We, the San Francisco Board of Education, acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibility as the caretakers of this place as well as for all people who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first people. And now we will go to item C, uh, and I will begin with item one, which is voting on student expulsion matters. I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement for one high school student, matter 2023-2024, number 12, one calendar year from the date of approval of the expulsion through November 10th, 2024, commencing the day immediately following the expulsion order. Can I have a second? Second. Can we have a roll call, please? Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus. Yes. Six eyes. I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement, one high school student, matter 2023-2024, number 13, from the district for the remainder of the fall 2023 semester and the spring 2024 semester. Can I have a second? Second. Roll call, please. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Success. Thank you. I move approval of the expulsion agreement, one high school student, matter 2023-2024, number 14, with suspended expulsion status for the duration of the 2023 semester and spring 2024 semester. During the suspended expulsion period, student will attend a district comprehensive high school. Can I have a second, please? Second. Roll call, please. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus. Yes. Success. Thank you. I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement, one high school student, matter 2023-2024, number 15, suspended expulsion status for the duration of the 20, 
the, the 2023 semester and the spring 2024 semester. During the suspended expulsion period, student will attend a district comprehensive high school. Can I have a second? Second. Roll call, please. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Success. Thank you. I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement, one middle school student, matter 2023-2024, number 16, from the district, remainder of the fall 2023 semester and the spring 2024 semester. Can I have a second? Second. Roll call, please. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wesman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Success. Thank you. I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement, one high school student, matter 2023-2024, number 17, from the district, the duration of the 2023 semester and spring 2024 semester. Can I have a second? Second. Roll call, please. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb, Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Success. I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement, one high school student, matter 2023-2024, number 18, from the district, with a suspended expulsion status for the fall 2023 semester and spring 2024 semester, through November 1st, 2024, during the suspension, the suspended expulsion period, student will be placed at a district middle school and allowed to attend a comprehensive high school during the fall 2024 semester. Can I have a second? Second. Roll call, please. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Success. I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement, one high school student, matter 2023-2024, number 19, one calendar year from the date of approval of the expulsion, commencing the day immediately following the expulsion order. Student will be placed at Civic Center Secondary School for a semester prior to the suspended expulsion period. During the suspended expulsion period, student will return to Balboa High School. Can I have a second? Second. Roll call, please. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wesman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Six eyes. Thank you. Uh, and with that, we will move to item two under this item, the report from closed session. In four matters of anticipated litigation, the board by a vote of six yeses, one absence, uh, Commissioner Lamb, gives direction to the general counsel. In the matter of student EH versus SFUSD OAH case number 20230510, the board, by a vote of six yeses, one absence, Commissioner Lamb, gives the authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. On a vote of 
six yeses uh, with Commissioner Lamb absent, the board accepts the resignation of in settlement with an employee. And that concludes the readout from closed session. Uh, and we will continue with our workshop on student outcomes uh, with our progress monitoring goal one, third grade literacy. And I will call on Superintendent Wayne to introduce the item. And we will begin the process of transitioning um, to our other seats. Also, just want to highlight that public comment will come after the uh, presentation. All right. We ready? Okay. Um, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining our progress monitoring report on goal one, third grade literacy. And I'm excited about our progress monitoring report tonight. This is first progress monitoring report where we're using, looking at um, metrics for one of our goals, interim metrics. Uh, and uh, pleased to be sharing the progress we're making and where we have additional work to do as well. Tonight, we're, we'll follow the format of our progress monitoring reports by explaining the goal, the data, and our interpretation. And then we're going to highlight two key strategic actions where we've made some progress uh, in implementing those this year. Uh, and then want to lift up some bright spots and uh, lessons from Glen Park <coughs> Elementary. So we'll get to hear from uh, the principal and a teacher at Glen Park, and then we'll talk about next steps. So if you go to the next slide, we always uh, start, uh, no, next one. Um, we always start the reports by sharing, uh, reminding people what our goal is and then uh, the um, uh, results. And so we're working towards our goal overall is that 70% as a district in 2027, 70% um, of our third graders are at, at uh, standard. 
um, as measured by the state assessment. Our interim goals are using our new interim assessments, and for this year, we are looking at uh, to achieve the 70%, getting to 55% by the end of the year. So right now, overall, you can see um, that grade three is at 51.7%, and so we're gonna have work to do to uh, get to that goal. And then what we have broken out there are um, each grade level, as well as our two other uh, focus groups that are part of our targeted universalism approach, right? So we said we want all third graders to be reading uh, and um, by 2027, and our, we want 70% of third graders looking at all of them, and then where do we need to make some specific uh, improvement for students that we've historically underserved? And in, um, you know, and so we are looking at our black and Pacific Islander kindergarten students, and uh, you can see only 31.9% of them are at standard uh, based on our interim assessment. And then our English learners in third grade, where we have only 20%. So um, we are going to need to accelerate progress. If you go to the next slide, you'll see. So this was, again, a new assessment for this year, our first implementation of it. One who, uh, appreciate the work of the assessment team and the educational services team and really you know, our school leaders and our, and our uh, teachers for implementing a new assessment and we had over 90% administration. And so what we've done is we have identified, well, what's the growth we will need to make in order to meet our goals by the end of the year? And actually with this assessment, they let, uh, the system can tell you what the predicted uh, level of growth will be, and when looking at that, we see that for our African-American students and our English uh, learners, we're going to need to accelerate that, uh, that sum to be able to meet that. So that's why we have uh, a, a still noted that we're off track towards meeting our goals, uh, because we know we're going to need to take additional steps in order to support those groups as well as all of our uh, third graders to, uh, to uh, meet our goals by the end of the year. And um, so if you go to the next slide, um, we wanted to talk about, we've identified some areas where we think will help us meet our goals, and we wanted to talk about two of those strategic actions, and I'm going to turn it over to our educational services team and our executive director of content, Devin Krugman. Good evening. As superintendent shared, we're going to focus the reporting of the five major strategic actions on two in particular around our curriculum piloting in elementary language arts as well as the district aligned PD. Um, so we wanted to start by just giving an overview. We know in the report there's a detailed analysis of both, um, but just to give a snapshot for our curriculum pilot, we are currently in the process of piloting elementary language arts curriculum. That curriculum is inclusive of English language arts, Spanish language arts, and designated ELD. Um, and we have been engaging in a very robust set of data collection around that piloting. So we have professional development for pilot educators, um, we have office hour sessions for questions, um, we have surveys, we have focus groups involved with educators, with students, with families. Um, they're submitting student work samples and artifacts from the classroom. And in addition, every single pilot teacher is observed twice 
per program. So just to give a little bit of context, um, we have about 160 pilot teachers, so that's 320 observations per program um, that our team has been conducting. And the purpose of those observations is really to track what implementation looks like to ensure that we're seeing high quality implementation, both in terms of essential content and academic ownership. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but the second piece is around our district-aligned professional development. Um, and just to be really specific, when we talk about this district-aligned professional development, this is part of our multi-year implementation plan for the curriculum adoption. And so for this year in particular, we're really focused on system readiness by providing um, curriculum agnostic professional development on the instructional shifts associated with language and literacy that will be reflected in the adoption. Um, and so our educators system-wide um, engaged in pre-service professional development on these shifts. Um, we also have monthly aligned professional development for all site-based educators. That's our teachers, our coaches, and our administrators on the instructional shifts. Um, and we have ongoing feedback and progress monitoring. So we want to make sure that it's not just a one-and-done professional development, but our site-based instructional leadership teams and coaches um, are tracking ongoing implementation of the practices that teachers are learning about in the sessions. You can go to the next slide. Um, so the first piece of data we wanted to share was a little bit of a comparison between our initial snapshot of instruction within the district and what we're seeing within the context of this piloting. Um, so just to orient you towards the chart, um, we're focusing on essential content, which is really about the degree to which the curriculum and instruction we're seeing in classrooms is aligned to the Common Core state standards and reflective of instructional shifts within those standards. And then the second piece is ac of academic ownership is the degree to which we see students carrying the cognitive load and owning their learning within the classroom, which might be reflected with collaborative structures, giving feedback and revision to one another. Um, and so the first column that you'll see were the initial findings that we reported out to the board in the spring of 2022 around the audit. Um, within that audit, TNTP, um, did observations in 91 K-5 classrooms across 15 schools that were um, a demographically representative sampling of the district. And you can see some of the trends um, across both essential content and academic ownership that they observed within the classrooms. And then the second column um, is the data that we um, have collected thus far within classroom observations um, in pilot classrooms. So we are happy and excited to report that we've seen a marked increase um, in the number of classrooms observed in terms of their demonstration of both essential content and academic ownership. I think where we've seen you know, particularly large gains, I wanna call out number one, is around um, foundational skills in particular um, and the number of classrooms who are providing daily systematic explicit instruction and foundational skills, which as you remember from the audit was one of our target areas. Um, we've also seen a marked increase in terms of student ownership. Um, so students, you know, sharing out and unpacking learning targets um, in some of their writing work, engaging in academic discourse within the classroom. Um, so thus far, um, we've seen a marked increase, and we know that these changes and shifts in instructional practice lead us to student outcomes. You can go to the next slide. Um, the next piece we wanted to report out on was around our district-aligned professional development. Um, this has been a really strong partnership across multiple divisions within the district, um, where we have a professional development module every month. 
You can see for September and October, we were focused on foundational skills. In November, we've begun a two-month arc on tax complexity. Um, the data that was collected is for system-wide implementation. Uh, the vast majority um, of our sites are implementing the PD and completing an aligned and shared feedback structure. So you can see that um, the vast majority about Three quarters of our educators um, are indicating that they've built knowledge on the topic and are leaving sessions with explicit skills and information. I think one of the most important things that we track um, is not just I had a positive experience in professional learning, but I can name explicitly and concretely the skill and the tangible action I'm going to take within my classroom. And so I wanna specifically call out some of the qualitative feedback that we received. Um, I think you'll see things like teaching with decodable text. That's a very specific, concrete, tangible action we wanna see in the classrooms. Um, you'll also see, again, to go back to foundational skills, emphasis on explicit phonics. Um, and understanding, I think, again, the importance of complex text in terms of bringing students to grade level reading. Um, so again, we've been pleased to see really tangible actions implemented as a result of that district-wide professional learning. And I'm gonna go ahead and pass it on. Thank you so much, Devin. Um, good evening, commissioners, members of the public and superintendent. Um, I'm just trying to also sh uh, show some of the capacity that we have in terms of data analysis. So what we did do is we looked at all the students that um, had the pilot teachers and we found a demographically equivalent group within the district that did not have the pilot and compared results. Uh, at this point, we didn't see any significant difference, but there is the capacity to continue to follow as um, the implementation of the core curriculum was not complete by the time the assessment was administered. So hopefully by the second assessment, we should see some uh, results. But even if we don't, I just want to highlight here, to me, this is what's really exciting about the work we're doing. because. Having been a district leader now for almost 15 years, to be able to say we're going to try something and actually see how it's working in the classroom in terms of classroom practice and see if there's any connection to student outcomes, like those links aren't often made in education. And to set up a system to do that is the kind of progress monitoring we want. So even though we're not seeing outcomes yet, we can, we're laying the foundation to have lessons learned to say, you know, if we need to course correct, will we see different results? And rather than just kind of doing that based on, you know, instinct or what we feel in the moment, we, we have different uh, pieces of data we can track to inform that. And so that's just really exciting to see, even though we haven't seen, uh, aren't able yet to tie that change in classroom practice we saw in the pilot teacher's classrooms to uh, a change in student outcomes. It's a good foundation upon which to build. Thank you. Next slide. Next slide. Um, the second thing is, thanks to one of the commissioners here, they suggested we should have a data dashboard. So we have created a draft data dashboard for each one of the goals. And um, what you see right on top is AJ's uh, statement, which says student outcomes will not change unless adult behaviors change. And so the implementation metrics or the three adult behaviors that we expect to change, as an example for third grade literacy, is um, additional implementation of tier one instruction, especially essential content, uh, 
more academic ownership at the student level within the classrooms and the use of the instructional guides. So those were three um, you know, adult behaviors changing that we tracked or that we are uh, in the midst of tracking. And below you can see not the overall uh, goal, but also the progress and the targets for the interim goals. So again, this is also an upcoming preview. And with that, I am gonna turn it to our bright spot in data, the star and the star. Um, so uh, that's the principle of Glen Park, and, and yeah, the teacher, yeah. I'm gonna let and, them And actually, please. before that, if you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just jump here. If yes. you go two slides down, maybe we just read to you, can you say what we're seeing here, why we're looking at Glen Park? Now, one slide definitely, up. Definitely, definitely. So, um, go, go back one slide. Oh. Ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> you want to just refresh your screen? There we go. Yeah. Okay. okay. So we compared Pilot overall, but what did we see when we looked at Glen Park? So when we looked at Glen Park, what we saw, especially at third grade, which is the goal of this uh, workshop, at third grade, we saw that they grew by one and a half times and they exceeded their given target by 14%. So they had a target of 44. They reached 58% at third grade already and we're only middle of the year. Um, also, when we looked at the SBAC results at third grade, they were at 37.5% and now they are at 58. So we say one and a half times proficiency rate was achieved at third grade. So that is a highlight definitely at third grade and for some of the groups, but I am going to not steal your thunder yeah, and let so. you tell the data story. Thank you and welcome. Thank you. Um, thank you, Ritu, and thank you, commissioners. Uh, my name is Liz Zarr. I'm the principal at Glen Park Elementary. I've been the principal for six years, but I've been a teacher at Glen Park since 2001. So a long time um, spent at Glen Park, which I don't think is, uh, it's not for nothing around the data, I do not think. So, and then I have um, one of my third grade teachers, Sheila Tenney, here with me um, to talk a little bit about our data. So you can just see some basic demographics there. Um, our multilingual pathway students, we have a Spanish by literacy program that's 31% of our school. 23% um, of our students have an IEP. Um, that is a bit high from, based on average. We have an SDC Mod Severe program for, with an autism focus. Um, as well as, um, you know, a number of students with RSP or speech-only IEPs. Um, we have an instructional leadership team that has stayed somewhat the same over the last six to 15 years, um, being honest, just because um, I've been there so long. I was on the ILT. There's still teachers there that were on the ILT with me when I was a teacher, and some of those people are still on the ILT. So we have a lot of longevity there. Um, our grade-level collaboration um, happens and we have um, the language pathway especially does a lot of um, cross-grade collaboration because it's one class per grade level and so they really support one another they're the only bilingual educators in the building um, that are attending to the biliteracy pathway students we have others who are bilingual Spanish speakers who are not teaching in the pathway um, our strategic plan for literacy um, literacy and attendance are our two focus areas um, 
and our attendance has really improved this year compared to last year, which I think also informs the results on the assessment because kids have to be at school to receive instruction. Um, and so, for example, um, Ritu had called out that the chronic absenteeism rate has dropped to half of where it was last year at this time. Overall, from last year, for example, our English learner chronic absenteeism last year was 59% for the whole year. And this year so far, it's 30%. So we've seen a really big improvement there. Um, our coordinated care team and our school social worker, our um, community relations specialist work on that together with me and our school nurse and our school secretary and all the teachers. So that's been a big focus. Um, we, a lot of my teachers chose to do the pilot. I was really happy. So 10 out of 15 of the classrooms at Glen Park in the gen ed are doing the pilot. Um, I'm doing the district aligned PD. So I go and learn about it and then I present it to the staff once a month. Um, and really, I think something that's been true about Glen Park for a long time is that we really are a little bit wonky and we like to look at data and we like to geek out a little bit on looking at charts and graphs. And so it's not a foreign, you know, it doesn't feel scary and hard. Um, it feels fun. And so um, we just kind of called that out as a celebration. Um, and we do have, you know, we are targeting foundational skills, especially with our K-1-2 students and um, our students with um, individualized education plans at all grades. On the next slide. So this is what um, Dr. Wayne was looking at earlier, referring to, um, and not just at third grade, but I think, you know, and again, just as a, this has already been said, but this is the first go around for the STAR assessment. This is baseline data um, where the kids were new to it, especially the little kids, you know, they, they haven't done a test on a computer before this year, our kinders and first, sec first graders um, or second graders because FNP was a one-to-one -one environment. Um, so we're really excited to see what happens in window two because this is what happened in window one. And Mrs. Tenney is gonna to talk to that a little bit more about kind of how we, what we think might have contributed to that. Um, so next slide. <clears throat> um, I already shared some of this stuff. Um, and really the last bullet there, I'm gonna ask Mrs. Tenney to talk about a little bit that really um, one of our things that we work on a lot at Glen Park is creating that culture of belonging and safety for our students. We have many students are impacted by trauma. Everyone was impacted by trauma through the pandemic. So we're, you know, we have an entire school full of children and adults who went through that experience and it wasn't, um, you know, it was not easy and it had an effect. And so we know that part of our results are just distance from pandemic is definitely a plus, right? Um, but we also intentionally work on that. So would you like to say any words about that, Mrs. Tenney? About the pandemic? About, no. <laughs> Don't talk about the pandemic anymore. But about um, establishing those conditions for learning and for testing. Sure. Um, Can you, I don't, we're not supposed to move it, it says on the sign. Oh. Okay. Really scary sign. Are we talking about um, conditions? That signs. Yeah, conditions okay. for learning and testing. 
So conditions for learning and testing. Um, I've been giving, I've been in the district for 20 plus years, I think, and I've given a lot of um, standardized tests. So I kind of knew what to expect going in. Um, but this was a new assessment. So it was new to me, it was new to all of my colleagues, and it was new to the students. Uh, so what my uh, grade level partner and I decided to do was we gave it at the beginning of the testing window and then we gave it at the end of the testing window. We're pretty lucky. Um, our third graders came in from uh, two nationally board certified teachers in second grade, one since retired, um, and they received fantastic instruction in second grade. Uh, Talking a little bit about the pilot, uh, we are in the second pilot for language arts, the second curriculum, and I can't tell you how transformative that's been from my perspective, being able to implement those routines, to have those daily foundation skill, foundational skills, the daily grammar practice, uh, small group reading, uh, decodable text, it's, it's just been phenomenal um, and I have enjoyed it thoroughly and I want to thank Katie and Lisa who are both here for all of their support with that. The office hours, the uh, collaborative um, learning that I'm doing with my colleagues across the district, that's been transformative. Um, I, I've loved it and um, I think it's making a difference with our students. Um, so when we gave the STAR assessment the first time, our results I don't think were reflective of what we're seeing on the slide right now, but when we gave it at the end of the window, we, um, we saw some gains. Um, I think we saw some gains in math too, but I know we're here to talk about literacy. Um, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but one of the things I want to say is having the students in an environment where um, they feel safe and when they f where they feel supportive, I think that's key. Um, I, what did we do? Let's, we gave them the whole period to test, the whole window, so maybe 40, 45 minutes. We talked about um, how we want to keep our room calm and quiet. We made sure everyone had something to do after they were finished. I am curious, though, because I do have some students who may have benefited from a testing environment where they could have maybe let out a little more energy, and I want to look into that to see if we can have some staff support as we move forward um, giving the, the next assessment. Um, and I also, um, just a little thing that maybe we could have some support around is we have a lot of new teachers in our district. I, like I said, I've been giving standardized tests for a very long time, but we have a lot of wonderful new teachers in our district. And I think maybe if we could give them a little more support and uh, maybe a little more direction as, as to how to set up that environment and also give them uh, more adults to help them foster that calm environment where students can feel successful. I think um, you're not just gonna see results at Glen Park, I think you're gonna see results across the district. So um, that's my suggestion. Thank you. Thanks, Mrs. Tenney. Um, yes, next, next slide. Um, so we have some other, some, our ILT met and we kind of reflected on our first, you know, first semester and first window of assessments and a couple of strategic 
um, moves that I want to highlight is that for our biliteracy um, pathway, we have two combination classes this year, which wasn't our first choice, but is related to enrollment and capacities, right? So we um, address that by having our bilingual RTIF partner with the two teachers that are teaching those split classes to have those students in three different groups for the language arts block, whether it's SLA or ELA. Um, because we know our theory of action is that if they have a really strong foundation in their primary language, they will be able to transfer those skills more um, easily to their next language, which one of which will be English, right? We have students who are way more than bilingual, right? Um, and so that was a strategic move and a choice that we made um, to use our RTIF this year. Um, and our grade level, our teachers are meeting in grade levels, and I know that specifically calling out those four grades there, but that work with students in small groups daily to do the differentiation that's needed because every classroom has a broad range of students and where their readiness for the grade level curriculum um, is different. Everyone, you know, every class has kids that are not quite ready for that. And so teachers are constantly needing to um, differentiate and provide in, uh, intervention. And I don't know, is there anything else you wanted to say before we no. are done? Okay. No. So, uh, so let's thank our Glenn Park guests. And and we will have discussions, so definitely stay there. I'm sure there'll be, there'll be um, questions. And uh, so again, this is highlighting um, uh, two of our strategic actions, particularly around uh, the curriculum uh, adoption and the professional development related to it, as well as on foundational skills. So to end, I uh, just want Dr. Carlene Aguilera-Fort to talk about our next steps. Um, we have another progress monitoring uh, for literacy in March. And so here's what we'll be working on, some things you can, you can see. Thank you, Dr. Wayne. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, we are going to talk right now just at the next set of actions that we continue the, the piloting. So if you see, we have presented these in a timeline, and these are not exclusively uh, the only activities that will take place, but it's important for you to know that it, what will take place between January and February is the evaluation of the final pilot data. So that will allow us to determine what will be the recommendation provided uh, that will be provided to the board. And these will count with a stakeholders' input. So teachers and the staff will connect and they will determine what are the qualities of the program that we want to adopt. And these will inform the recommendations. So we will continue with the district aligned PD and that will be from now until the end of the school year. And again, that involves the schools that are conducting the pilot and also the schools that don't have that right now. So every single student will have access to that kind of content. So the board will receive the recommendation in March and as soon as the board approves, hopefully the recommended uh, adoption, then we will begin the training on the adopted curriculum. 
the materials, we are ready to purchase them once the selection is identified. And our goal is to provide every single teacher with those materials before the end of the school year. So teachers have requested that, schools have requested that. So the idea is to give it to them before the end of the school year so they can have access to it. And with that, we will design the professional development right after the end of the school year. So we don't want to wait until the beginning, so we want to provide teachers with that opportunity. And the actual design of the content will depend on which ones are the materials adopted. But we have the plan of the dates and the time frame to provide that. But the content is definitely connected to two pieces, the curriculum adopted and the other component is out of the different elements of the materials adopted, in which ones the teachers experienced that they needed more help and more support. So it's going to be targeted. And then hopefully by next school year, we will begin full implementation. And as we define our staffing model to, with the specific goals in mind, then there will be the plan for coaching for the, the staff and continuous professional development. So, so those are the general highlights. There are elements in between, but we wanted you to know these uh, general information. Thank you. And so that concludes our presentation of the report, and we'll turn it over to the board for questions and feedback. Okay, thank you so much to staff uh, and for our lovely educators and school site leaders for being here and presenting with us. So we'll start with questions and comments for the board. I think I'll start with the first question, and then we'll see who else has, and then we'll kind of go around. Uh, we'll ask commissioners to keep their questions and comments under uh, two minutes, um, hopefully less. Um, my first question is to the superintendent. Uh, I think we'll ask folks to only do one question at a time, and we'll come back to you. Is if you could just talk a little bit about how our current fiscal outlook impacts the strategy, the plan, what we are projecting to do, uh, and how we kind of view that potentially impacting our ability to implement the things that were kind of projected out and what we're piloting. Um, yes, so as you heard Dr. Aguilera Fort say, we're, we're committed to supporting the strategies in this area. So um, we're moving forward with our curriculum adoption and that funding is set aside to uh, support that. As we go through our budget planning process for next year, we know co <laughs> coaching support is critical um, as we implement a new curriculum and just to, um, if we're, to improve instruction in our focus areas in, uh, around academic ownership and essential content. So we will have uh, laid out um, coaching allocations to provide that support. And then um, thirdly, just want to repeat again what we, what we shared at the previous board meeting, um, you know, by investing in uh, meaningful salary increases to attract and retain teachers, we are intending, and it's one of our guardrail measures, to start the school year with fully staffed classrooms. And just as kids need to attend for learning to happen, we also need classrooms with uh, teachers from the beginning of the year for learning to happen as well. So while we are going to be, we've talked about needing to um, reduce expenses or find budget balancing solutions in other areas, for this particular goal, we're moving forward with the strategies outlined here. 
ask a follow-up? Please. Commissioner um, Alexander. So to build on that, I want to ask Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm I failed the test at using the mic. Sorry. Um I want to ask a similar question to the, to the to Glenn Park. So um you know, we have a this goal around third grade literacy. We have a guardrail around resource allocation that says the superintendent will align resource allocation with um, transparent communication about how the allocations are baseline sufficient to operate all schools while addressing inequitable inputs and creating more equity and excellence in student outcomes. So I'm curious how you would answer that question, knowing that you know we have we've just invested in uh, raises for our educators, which also means there's going to be things that we can't do. Um, what's what will it take? I mean, you've described some of the collaboration. Uh, among teachers, for example, the role of the artists. What, it, from your point of view, in terms of resource allocation, like what's critical, what's essential, in order for you to keep the progress up? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, thank you for that question. Um, I mean, I think that it's really difficult to prescribe something that's universal. I think at Glen Park. Um, because we have had low staff turnover, we already have been able to kind of build a foundation where there's people at almost each grade level. Um, our fifth grade teachers are both brand new, and so that's, you know, a different case, but then I can support them because I'm not supporting every grade. Um, so I think that there needs to be differentiated support based on um, the expertise that's already in the building. And I and think, I, I you know, know coaching. I know, I know yeah, you right. asked them, but just want to chime in one yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. That differentiated support is key. What we want to be consistent across the district are some of our um, strategies, but the support for it is going to need to be differentiated. So let's take, for example, uh, the instructional leadership teams. That's a key forum to support professional learning across schools because it is teacher-driven at the schools. Well, you heard this is a school that has had a consistent member on the ILT for 15 years. Right? We know there's, uh, there's other schools where the ILT might be new or, or through transition, it's not as robust. So this then becomes the district-wide support around um, a set, a, a seeing where each schools are at. And we actually have a rubric on ILTs yes. to be able to help us know like what support is, um, is needed. So I just want to appreciate what, what uh, principals are saying is that, that the, the needs might be, might be different, but where it's universal, are some of the strategies to like, you know, sell stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, and just to yeah. say, I mean, I think what I heard you saying was like, so if there was a school that where it wasn't just the fifth grade where the teachers were new, but where four grades had new teachers, there might need to be a different investment from the district. So like, I would love to see when we think about resource allocation, again, aligned to our goals saying, this is why a school might get more resources and this is why a school might get less or depending upon that right. differentiated need. I think that would be, that would be great. Yeah. I will say that, in the past three years, I've had an instructional reform facilitator, and this year we don't. And so, you know, fortunately, she is still on site as a second grade teacher, but um, it's not the same, and I don't have an AP. And so I feel like, you know, 
there's a lot of plates in the air or balls in the air at the same time. Um, and, you know, we're one or two teachers out away from me not being able to focus on that. So I think the other thing is really having enough substitutes and having enough substitutes for paraeducators who work with our most, um, our students with most intensive needs in our SDC programs. Because when those staff are out, you have to staff it. And it, it could be the principal or it could be the principal. If that's the only person who's not in the classroom. Yes, yeah. Whoever's not in the classroom and if it's just the principal, then that's who's doing it. Commissioner Sanchez, I know you want to add in. Oh. You could grab the mic. I got the mic. He can use it. He does yeah. it. Actually, no, this is all Judson. I have no idea how to operate this thing. Um, I want to thank you, too, for being here as well. And guess who 30 years ago taught at Glen Park? Oh. Um, me. Um, and I love that school. It's so special to have you guys here. Um, I just would love to hear more about your ILT. Uh, granted, it has been around for a while with similar folks on it. I'm a huge believer and supporter of well-run ILTs, having done that, hopefully done that, at, at Cleveland as the principal. And then your grade-level collaboration, what that looks like. Um, also a huge supporter of that, if it's done well. Um, so what, and, and in this process, how grade-level collaboration has um, helped in the process of piloting and hopefully as you move forward and getting even more gains in this area? Well, I think that for my, when I reflect on our ILT, it's a group of people that have been around for a while. We have a lot of relational trust and also a great deal of understanding of the, um, you know, the demands of the classroom teaching job, the demands of the admin job. Um, I, I do have that RTIF, our response to intervention teacher, she's on the um, ILT. Um, so I think we function as well as we do because we do have that historic knowledge and we have the depth of expertise. Um, I would love to be able to spend more time with the ILT um, in those discussions and doing that planning. Um, but it, it is a priority, but it is not perhaps um, the kind of structure that would be, um, you know, needed to start from scratch. So we really, we really um, have a lot of, like I said, relational trust, and we we really count on one another, and we know that we're going to do the stuff that needs to get done. Um, so. And then for the GLCs. So um, I can speak to my own grade level collaboration. Um, the third grade team at Glen Park, it's um, myself and my colleague, Rocio Salinas, who's our second year in SFUSD, but she comes, and she's very young, but comes to us with a lot of experience. And Nancy Larin, who um, teaches a um, second, third split in our biliteracy program. And we meet... I mean, we meet casually daily, but we meet officially twice a week, once for literacy, um, and once a week for literacy and once a week for math. Um, we're also very lucky because we really genuinely like one another. And we do. I mean, that, that's key. We, we get along really, really well, and um, we work very well together. We plan together. But it, we're not unique to Glen Park. I see the same collaboration with other grade levels. And another thing that's really <laughs> unique to Glen Park is we collaborate and 
team up across the grade levels. That's just the relationships that we've built. But you know, um, Liz and I were talking about this yesterday. It took us a long time to build that um, that sense of trust and that's com and that community. We've everyone, kids, adults, all of us have been through a lot these past few years. Glen Park was lucky enough to come out stronger and better, um, and. I think that reflects in our instruction, and I think it reflects in our community. Um, but the GLCs have been key. They really have. Um, I enjoy it. We look forward to it. Um, I, you know, I, I can only hope that it's that way for teachers and for sites across the district. We're, we're really lucky. We're going to have uh, Vice President Wiseman Ward go next. We also are going to just ask if everyone can talk into the mic uh, when they speak, just so our virtual audience and in public audience can hear everybody. And we also can pass the wireless mic to folks. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, Principal Czar and Ms. Tenney. It's really, um, it, it, it's great to hear about the bright spots, and it's great to hear that um, there is opportunity for other schools to, to see similar success. Um, and I know that each school is different based on the staffing makeup and how long folks have been there, but, but seeing that it can be done is really quite motivating. And, and thank you also to our um, district staff that have been helping support um, the work and the curricular changes. I have a question that I think probably is directed to you, Dr. Wayne, and, and you, um, Dr. Aguilera, for it. So in the, one of the very first things when we were looking at the um, interim goals and where we were are based on baseline and growth targets, um, you said we're off track and we need to take additional steps. And when I heard that, it was I was thinking additional steps to make sure that we are on target for our interim goal for... May 2024. And then when I'm looking at the, um, the next steps for implementation planning timeline, a lot of that's focused on getting a sense of what's going to happen by the end of the year so that we then we can do more. And so I want to I understand, like, what are those additional steps that you all are identifying for us to, to be taking or for, for our school sites to be taking, us to be supporting? so that we can get closer to that interim goal by the end of the year? Because the, the, the timeline looks to, to be beyond that. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I'll actually, I want to speak to interim goal 1.1, and then I'm going to ask Dr. Aguilera for it to speak to 1.3. So 1.1 is um, serving our, ensuring that our kindergartners who are uh, African-American and Pacific Islander, uh, are at grade uh, at meeting standards, and we set an ambitious goal for that for the end of the end of the year. What we what we expect to report on in March, and what we've been doing is tracking uh, each and every student by name. So you may have heard me talk before about that we have only about 225 kindergarten, uh, kindergartners who are uh, African-American and Pacific Islander. And our mission is that each and every child receives the quality instruction and equitable support they need to thrive in our schools. So I feel like we should be able to know each and every student by name as a system. And so we have almost, we were, were uh, uh, have put together and learning how to be a district-wide coordinated care team. And, um, and so our Director of African American Achievement uh, uh, Leadership Initiative is here, Leticia Irving. And, and so she's working with our CSACE coordinator. And so the district team is meeting. And we actually started looking at the first interim benchmark. 
And as opposed to the system level support you're hearing that we focus on here, this is more individual support. So like we saw of all the kindergartners, um, there were 15 who didn't take the assessment. You know, why didn't they take the assessment? That's what we're going to go learn. And then we saw, we saw there was at one school a student who at the beginning of the year scored well on the kindergarten readiness, um, and, but then didn't score well on, the, um, on this first assessment. So what's happened there? So we're working as a, a um, we know the schools know the kids by name, but we're trying to figure out how as a district we can support them. And so what then um, Director Irving is doing is, check, is seeing what are the actions we've identified of how we can support the schools, because ultimately you know, it's, it's what's happening at the schools that matter. And then that's what we'll be able to report on, did it have an impact or not in the March um, uh, administration. And that's particularly how we think we can accelerate the progress for those students with that real individual attention. That's 1.1, kindergarten African-American students. We are doing work um, around supporting our multilingual learners with new curriculum and uh, implementing our new multilingual learner master plan. So Dr. Aguilera-Fort can speak a little to that. I will speak about the two pieces. One is, even though we presented what is projected for the future, right now, based on the needs expressed by the teachers and based on this information, the team is already planning what that aligned professional professional learning will look like and what needs to be tweaked in terms of the content. So that's one piece. The other piece is we are defining our coaching model and as we are defining the coaching model, we are going to pilot starting in January the coaching for those teachers who need that additional support. We are asking right now for people who are volunteering to be coached. You know, coaching doesn't happen because I tell people I am going to coach you. You have to be open. But we are actually inviting people to get that specific coaching. So those two, two key pieces right now, which is the professional learning, align PD, follow up with the observations. We have one structure that is called instructional cabinet. That instructional cabinet includes members of LEAD, CNI, Special Ed, RPA, Digital Learning, and so all of us, and Tilly. So all of us come together, by the way, today we met, and we look at the goals, and we gather the data from those observations, and we look at what is happening in those classrooms. And so then from it, we define what is the role of the central office to support those teachers, and therefore, by supporting the teachers, we are supporting the students. So it's that cascade impact that we are looking at. So there, there is work taking place, and there is work happening as we plan the next phase of the actual implementation. I hope that was, I was able to respond. Okay. I might have, I'm going to respect our one question. And I think this is, cool, I have a lot to say. But just um, my first is a clarifying question. Um, 
I'm so excited to see the bright spots at Glen Park, and thank you for being here and sharing that with us. I think my clarifying question is, you mentioned that 10 of the 15 general education teachers opted in, and this is a pilot, that makes sense. Um, why did the other five choose not to? Um, I don't think I could speak to each person's um, motivation. It does require extra hours um, and extra time in the work week, and it requires a, a, you know, a serious commitment to doing the reflection, to um, doing the communication with CNI around that. So, you know, it's just not everyone is in a place to take on that kind of extra thing um, every year, you know, and people who take it on one year might take a year off the next time, so. Thank you for that clarification. And, you know, teachers are people <laughs> who have lives outside of, right? And so um, I think my, so my question to the leadership team then is if, once we get past this pilot phase, you're not going to have the option of opting out. You will have to participate. So how are we doing this in a way that is honoring the capacity that our teachers have and everything else and still yet giving space and, and, and doing it right and not burning out and, and all of the other things that we've seen in the past? Um, and just, just to make sure I accurately answer, just to clarify, you're talking about once we adopt to implementation? Once it's not a, you want me to, it, it, it will very quickly be where it's not opt-in. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, so one Now the, it's opt-in, it won't always be opt-in, right? Yep. So one of the pieces I just want to clarify is a slight difference is that um, our pilot teachers are amazing in that they have gone above and beyond what we would expect of a normal implementation in order for us to get that robust data collection. Um, so those pilot teachers are participating in surveying, they're participating in mid-year and end-of-year focus groups, they're submitting student work samples. Um, it's, it is a significant workload and, and the you know, it's a double-edged sword, both from the teacher experience and then the flip is we have the kind of data collection that we can present to you for progress monitoring. Um, but one of the things I do want to say is the purpose of that data collection is also to try to get information on things like usability and implementation lift to ease that implementation for teachers once we get to adoption, right? Um, as was shared earlier, a lot of that is program specific. So as we pilot different programs, we can start to understand from the pilot teachers and all they're giving us, where is that lift when it comes to instructional planning, what kinds of resources would be beneficial when we go to full-scale implementation. Um, so we are anticipating by design a pretty different experience for pilot teachers versus full district implementation. Um, that was an excellent, that because I guess I have a clarifying question. I don't understand what full district implementation means. So as a parent, if I was listening in, I'd want to know, what, what is this curriculum? What is this instruction? When am I going to see it? So can you describe what is full district implementation and when? OK. So once the teachers and the staff decide this is the actual curriculum set of materials that we are recommending, it comes to the board, the board approve the adoption of that particular set of materials. In March. In March, and then immediately we have to, number one, communicate 
uh, to the families, to the schools, this, this is what has been adopted. Once the board adopts the materials, the board is giving direction for us to say this is the district um, adopted set of curriculum. Therefore, in every single classrooms, in those grade levels that adopted the materials. And which grade levels are those? Uh, we are talking about TK uh, to fifth grade at this level, will be implementing using those set of adopted materials with the strategies, with the pacing, the sequence, and you are supposed to expect, you're expected to see that your child is learning what has been adopted that is a standard base. So across the entire district, in every elementary classroom, those materials will be used and will be implemented, and students will be learning about them, and the assessments will be connected to the content of those adopted materials. That's district-wide implementation. So you're saying full implementation come return to school in 24-25? Absolutely. Is what, okay. And that is why we want the teachers to have access to those materials before they leave for this school year. So they can have access, and that is why we are planning the professional learning sessions right after the last day of the school. So before teachers make their plans, we want to make sure that they have that opportunity as well. Okay, I'm super mechanical right now, but so, and so connect the dots between what you're piloting now, and then there's curriculum that your purchase, that the board will approve in March, what is that process? What is being reviewed? Because it sounds like you're doing something very specific in the pilot program, but is it not specific to a particular curriculum or instructional uh, Yep. So there are currently three programs that we're piloting at the elementary level. Benchmark, into reading and EL education at select K-8 schools. All three of those programs are what we might call a complete or comprehensive curriculum, which means they include lesson plans, unit plans, all of the texts, foundational skills. And all are science of reading. All of them address science of reading and foundational skills. All of them have been nationally reviewed by Ed Reports, um, which is sort of a national clearinghouse for curriculum evaluation. We went through a multi-stage evaluation process. Um, so those are the three programs that we're piloting and doing data collection around. Once and as we're piloting, teachers are piloting essentially one unit of each program. So if I'm a third grade teacher, I'm piloting one unit of interreading, and then I'm piloting one unit, let's say, of benchmark. Right, and so part of that is that comparison for them to be able to name, you know, what they do and don't like about any of it. Um, and then we go through and we analyze and evaluate. Um, and part of that also is we do observations. Do we see marked differences in the piloting of those different programs, um, which relates to our implementation plan? So as we collect and evaluate all that data, we will then make that recommendation to the board of, of the programs we piloted, which are we recommending for adoption? Okay, and then my last question. I know that was a lot of questions, but I just needed to be clarification. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so I heard a lot of very site-specific um, information from 
Glen Park, which thank you very much. So even things like around testing, the ability to get the wiggles out, and I see in the um, in the monitoring report you can pause timing or there's so, um, and then there's differences in schools around um, instructional experience and so forth. So what is the mechanism that um, once we move out a pilot with like the eager beavers that are participating in this, but once we move out of pilot and we're in classrooms that are maybe not quite as ready and equipped, how, how are you taking that feedback and how are you monitoring progress and supports needed? Got it. Um, so one of the things I, I'll highlight sort of two different components. Um, one is that I think we've done a lot of shifts in sort of system-wide data collection over the last year, thankfully as part of the progress monitoring work that we've been doing. Um, and so I wanna highlight two different mechanisms that are about district-wide data collection. So one is about that aligned PD. So the entire system of teachers is experiencing the aligned PD. That's pilot and non-pilot teachers. Um, and we actually, even though it's site-based implementation, centrally collect all feedback from those sessions. Um, and so what we're able to do is basically make some comparisons in terms of the session feedback or, um, between pilot and non-pilot teachers to try to understand, you know, our pilot teachers are experiencing those instructional shifts within the programs they're piloting. They have some high feedback, they're really <laughs> responsive, but we can also get that feedback from non-pilot teachers where they're not experiencing a curriculum with those instructional shifts to help us try to understand where we might need to double down on professional learning. Um, the other piece I do wanna come back to, as was highlighted earlier, is around the instructional cabinet. Um, and so as part of that instructional cabinet, we do series of school-based learning walks. Um, that's pilot and non-pilot classrooms that we're in where we're able to do a comparative analysis of instructional practice using the core rubric, specifically essential content and academic ownership. Um, and thankfully, with our really strong partnership with RPA, um, we're able to drill down which specific practices system-wide, regardless of piloting status, need additional support and strengthening. We have Commissioner Bogus, then Commissioner Alexander. Oh, sorry. There's additional responses? Well, and that determines the identification of number one district-wide data about what are the key areas of need across the board. So that can be addressed district-wide. And then per school, we identify which ones are the teachers that may need this additional support that could be channeled through our team centrally and through the ILDs. So that's, that's how we are planning to address. The monitoring will happen through the ILT, through the instructional cabinet, and definitely our partnership with LEAD is essential as we monitor the implementation of those in every single classroom. Okay, I was gonna jump in. I think kind of in that same vein, I think I'm struggling a little bit to see our path to success and reaching our goals, especially our interim goals. And I think I'm curious to how our plan, how our approach, how our strategy reflects our current realities and our changing realities with the budget outlook, with our staffing issues, with our students who aren't in school frequently, and just how all those things are going to lead us to a stabilized approach 
across the district and kind of to get us from the hole that we're currently in and to move us forward. Understand that we're going to be asking more of sites, more of educators in the future um, than we are now and how that relates to us um, having more success as we move forward. Yeah, I can share a few thoughts on that. I think um, first, you know, what you're, you're hearing us and, and what we'll be talking about a lot in the next uh, six months as we do our budget planning is, you know, what's, what's consistent and what can we count on across our schools, like having fully staffed classrooms, right? And so on the one hand, adopting a curriculum definitely is, you know, a heavy lift for teachers and particularly for a whole system. You hear the kind of support. On the other hand, that, that what we're doing is something that hasn't been done for a while in San Francisco, is providing materials for teachers to be able to use where they don't need to try to plan and put things together on their own. Some schools have had, a, uh, so I see a teacher nodding. If you want right. to speak to that. I really do. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, thank, I, I really see what you're saying, but I can't tell you how much time I've saved this year. I, I can't I can't express enough how much time I have saved this year because I have actual curriculum that that I can present to my students and deliver it to them right away with and I'm talking about both curriculums it doesn't matter we can talk about which one is better We're, we'll look at the data and we'll decide that later but the fact of the matter is is that I actually have curriculum and I can give it to my kids and I'm not going on and I'm not building it myself and I can't tell you it's like I said earlier it's been transformative no I appreciate hearing that I, I think the thing that I guess I'm still curious about it it's good that this is saving us time but I guess I'm wondering from the central office superintendent perspective does that balance out with the changes that are going to have to be made and the way we're going to be shifting the structure of schools to kind of address our structural deficit is is that I guess is the expectation that what these folks are experiencing this pilot are the exact same conditions number of students in the classrooms number of support site staff at sites that they're going to be is this a similar opera environment that future staff will be working in and if not how are we I think balancing that to match the results that we're seeing yeah, so that's where I was going to speak to this second piece is as we define the, the baseline and the necessary support, we are going to talk about what um, either trade-offs or what, um, what we think is the greatest leverage, right? So you heard Glenn Parks doing this work without an assistant principal, without um, an ERF, and with an RTIF who actually is really in the classroom because you have a you know, because you have um, combination classes and so it's helping provide support in the classroom. Now I'll say that I think is a good thing because we really see our overall district strategy is improving what's happening in the classroom to reach our goals, not just having students have to go out to intervention if they can't. You know, will in, in as we go through our budgeting process, we're going to be talking with schools. We're going to be putting out. Here's what we think the model is. We're going to be talking with schools about is this going to be enough? And while our pot's not unlimited, like where can we make the shift? So, you know, we're going to. So you've heard uh, Dr. Aguilera Fort say like coaching is key. So we are going to be providing. Here's the coaching resources that are, are available, and then the debate. Uh, and the discussions are going to be what else, if anything, is needed to be able to run that. And that's where we, we're, you're hearing 
I keep talking about a process where we're, we're putting out ideas, but there's going to be, need to be feedback from our schools where a principal might say, you know, you know, that assistant principal is key because I'm dealing, you know, I want to make sure I can lead the ILT and we have, you know, uh, a special education population that needs support and uh, a lot of IEPs to attend. Or it might be, you know what, I've got that piece in an, and, um, you know, an, an IRF is, is important. And I share that to, again, to say to be real. It's not like, you know, like the, the conversations Glen Park's going to have and our schools are going to have and that we're going to share are, may not be everything, but what's needed to get to that, uh, to ha establish that baseline of support that we have confidence we can, we can work towards our goals. Commissioner Alexander, then Commissioner Fisher. Um, I have a, I uh, just want to make a brief, hopefully helpful clarifying comment and then a question. The clarifying comment was, um, you know, we set this goal around third grade literacy and chose the metric we chose around the SBAC, um, not because we think it's the best measure, because it's the one that's most available. And so we are, it is our measure, and we're glad that there's a star assessment that's aligned to it. But I do want to just note this, the comment earlier around the testing conditions. I think unless those conditions are the same district-wide, it's going to skew our data, right? So I just want to like note that because it didn't get brought up earlier. So like th those conditions that we're talking about ought to be true everywhere so that we can be looking across the district. And of course, as we know, the teachers are collecting street data and using other metrics all the time. And I'm sure staff would say that too. But um, my question was kind of building on the last two comments. We have an example here at Glen Park where there, there's a lot of conditions. In fact, it was great that one of the things um, Principal Zahar spoke to was actually our last monitoring report on chronic absenteeism, right, and the work they'd done there. So I mean, I think as we know, on a school level, this stuff is all integrated, and there's all these cultural pieces and staff, staff longevity, all that. So uh, one of my questions is, what is your strategic thinking around how, um, and this is more to the district leadership, how does this expand? So if we have an example of um, success here, we have an example we've talked about in math before, the John Muir pilot. We've got these examples of schools that were these like a combination of things that are happening What's our thinking not just on the PD and the curriculum, which sounds awesome, like it sounds really great, the, the prog progress we're making on the curriculum, how important that is for teachers, but there's also this kind of school cultural element that I heard everyone speaking to, and I'm curious, what's our thinking on, on how to begin replicating that? I know, we're, we're all looking at uh, Associate Superintendent Demetrius Rice Mitchell, um, if she wants to speak to that. Yeah, I would like okay, to invite, because there, again, as I said before, we are working closely, collaboratively in uh, agreements and disagreements so that we can support the schools as a whole. And I think uh, Ms. Rice Mitchell can articulate that piece of the care teams at, at the district level. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, commissioners. I think it's the expectation when um, uh, principals are talked about the CCTs. I think it's clearly first setting the expectation. This is what we want to see, and this is the support that we're going to do. And absolutely, that's one of our goals that we can. We've seen um, throughout pockets 
of work that's happening. So the Align PD is one. We're all getting the same message. Aligning the instructional leadership team. We know that the conditions are very, very different from different schools. We have some schools that don't have um, teachers that have been there for quite some time, but we do have models. There's opportunities for principals to share um, best practices with one another, to go and visit other schools and to be able to see that. And so for some folks, there's some principals who don't have teachers who've been there for quite some time, but we do have like a goalpost to look at and to set the conditions. What allow that, to, what happened in the grade level collaborations? What was, there are some folks who um, just three years as a veteran teacher, but there's still some, some things that we can look forward to. And so we're trying, this is the work that we're doing. We're trying to align and to say that it is possible and it is, we can do these things as well. So, and then working, the other thing, not only the principals, I think more so than ever, we're working collaboratively with um, Ed Services and with RPA. That has to be there has to be some alignment there as well. We can't expect schools just to do one thing, and we're not on the same page. More than ever, we've been working in tandem with each other to be able to realize this. So um, you've heard us say this quite some time that alignment is at schools, but the alignment is district wide as well. And so we're seeing ourselves as teams. We know that um, I think. Um, Commissioner Bogus is asking this question. That's a reality. It is going to be different. It is not going to be the same amount of resources, but the goal is still the same. We're still holding the guardrails and the goals because the, the students are still the same and they're still coming to school. So we can't, um, our mindset can't be we don't have enough. We have to have enough. So we're trying to figure out what's the enough that we need to have so that we can meet the needs for each and every student that comes through pre-K-12 that comes through SFUSD. Commissioner Sanchez and Commissioner Fisher. I appreciate the response, but I think, I don't know if Commissioner Alexander wants a deeper response, I think, in a way, because the, we have examples of, of really good things happening at a number of schools. John Muir was brought up and others, Roosevelt, at a pre previous meeting. But I, I, I still don't, I still haven't grasped from staff how exactly we're going to replicate that at other sites. I mean, yes, the, the conditions are different on the ground at every single site. We know that. Uh, at the same time, we don't want to pr be prescriptive and top-down and make it so, you know, horrific for the site-level people, particularly in the classroom, that they'll just um, buck the system and, and say, this, this is not tenable for me. So how do we, you know, uh, thread that needle so that we can do both? We can have um, best practices replicated and we can have uh, people that are on the ground floor doing the work in the classroom not only just accept it but embrace it. And I don't see that we've done that in this district. I think that we've said a lot of words toward it, but I don't think we've actually done that. And so uh, I would like to have more of a response around that. I mean, I'll share, I think, and this is helpful as we continue through this, this process. So I think what, uh, what we're continuing to, to, well, let me say it like that. What, we're, what we need as we go through this process is to be clear on the high level um, strategies along with expectations and then how that how we're going to support that in a differentiated way so you heard us talk a lot about the instructional leadership team and as I reflect you actually don't see that right now in our progress monitoring reports as where uh, you know how the instructional leadership team will be will will be leveraged to, su to support um, uh, improvement uh, in teacher learning and teacher practice. And so I think it's, it's in those areas where we need to be more explicit how they're working together. So like 
you know, we, it's the same thing with, with lesson study, right? That provides a promising professional learning um, structure. So if this is a structure that we want to expand, how are we going to do that? And we're learning, you know, uh, just like an IELTS, just like how we say, you can't just say to school next year if they've never really done an ILT. You're going to be a strong ILT next year. You better do it. I mean, if you know, if, if the schools, uh, uh, I would hope everybody in our schools like each other. But if they're still working on building that that school culture, it's going to be the same thing. Like uh, you can't just stay to school. We saw it, you know, last month or a couple weeks ago. You're now going to do do lesson study, but what are the the steps? And that I want to acknowledge. We don't have that full picture. Um, for, for you yet, but you're hearing, this is both, you know, it's, it's good feedback for us. You're hearing us talk about the strategies, but we're hearing from you, okay, how are they going to work together and be differentiated as well? I do want to say one more thing to that, though. What I do hope you're hearing, or what I'm hearing at least, and what we're trying to communicate, is as we do that, from the district, two key shifts. One, the coordination among the divisions. And two, that coordination being around how are we in service of the schools. So I'll, I'll share, I did a drop-in, I'd like to do drop-in visits at schools because I get to see what things are really like. So I dropped into the school and a principal showed me on her board the number of different plans that needed to be submitted. Now, some of these are compliance, we're not going to be able to get around it, but what, what struck me as she was talking is, you know, that the opportunities to create connections, you know, have fewer plans, but also to create connections about the plans. And that's what's happening when you get, we like our acronyms, but you know, CSAFE, coordinated, uh, comprehensive, uh, comprehensive coordinated early intervention services in the room with Ali, in the room with special ed. I mean, you heard Dr. Aguilar-Fort name the groups that are in that room. Like that kind of cross collaboration, um, uh, again, is, is a shift that we're trying to make. So, and the plans are coordinated so schools experience them as like, oh, this is how we're getting support to do this, not one more plan. But I feel like if you ask principals, they're going to say, well, we still have a lot of plans, but that's what we're moving towards. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, well, I was, I was actually thinking in response to your question that one concrete way that I as a site leader feel support that has been differentiated and has helped me build my leadership skills because I went straight from the classroom to the principal's office is the lead, the structures and lead, the strong support from the assistant superintendents, from the directors. Now we have a director and then one assistant superintendent, we used to have, you know, two people at each cohort level. And then the cohort meetings and that structure. And there is a lot of collaboration and a lot of sharing among principals at those meetings, but even more importantly, or as important, on our text threads that we have with one another. Um, there's always um, text threads going all, all the time about best practices, looking for resources, asking for reminders about where do I find that form for this thing so that I don't waste time looking for it. So I think there are concrete ways and I think that the differentiated support that LEAD has offered um, to me, uh, just through my early years of being a principal till now, um, has been instrumental in being able to know where to focus that attention, you know, where to um, pause, where to accelerate around um, strategic moves to shift um, instruction, to shift outcomes for students. Thank you for that clarification because that was actually a big part of my question too. I mean, having been in a lot of these 
pilot program meetings for years talking about moving towards structured literacy. You know, I've, I think I've been through, this is my third pilot program now in, in um, various parent advocacy roles now in this role. Um, and it's nice to see that some things are being done different, right? In the, the last one where we had our 10 schools working on, um, uh, I think it was Wilson for the most part at that point, um, one of the frustrating things for a lot of us was that after the fact, there was no deeper data dive. There was no robust data collection that led to informed next steps. Um, so hearing that that's happening here now is really exciting. Um, uh, the fact that we're building in ongoing professional development and coaching, I mean, we know, you know, we've spent millions as a district on curriculum that just sits on the shelves in teachers' rooms because you get that one day of PD and that's not enough. So the ongoing coaching, the when we look at slide six that shows what the TNTP audit showed and the lack of of cohesion <laughs> to any foundational skills, and now we're seeing it, um, we've been hearing that from teachers over and over and over again, um, that previous curriculum, like there was no scope and sequence, right? So now having materials, just I'm, I'm really, really excited to hear a lot of this, so thank you all very much for this. Um, I think one of my future leading questions though, I mean, especially we're just a week away from the, the you know, having to pass our first interim, right? We just passed our first interim. We, we signed off on our AB 1200 and there were almost a thousand cuts in positions and that, and so this is where my skepticism as a parent, you know, like, and I, I see some people sitting in the audience who have been through and been down this road, and we seem to always hear the same rosy words out of district leadership, and then the implementation piece is where we get stuck. So I'm glad to hear that there's more planning towards it. Um, and and I, I, I think that we have a lot of trust to rebuild with our community um, and so a lot more transparency. And I think that to me is one of the mismatches that I still see. We're talking about more PD, we're talking about more coaching, we're talking about more, and yet I just saw a thousand cuts. And so I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around, I, and I think to President Bogus, you've named this a couple times, I think we all really want to see that data. We really wanna see the resource allocation part behind it. Um, and then my, Future performance question is, this is great for a robust tier one, um, you know, but are we sticking with our current tier two strategy, which is aligned with our old tier one strategy, or what are we doing there? Um, what about, we're focusing here now on foundational skills to monitor our third graders in goal one, but our reading ability of our all of our students is going to impact their college and career readiness, which is yet another goal. What about that generation of kids who didn't get the foundational skills? So just that's when we talk about future performance questions, next steps. That's, I think, a few pins I'd like us to put out there. If we have answers for them today, great. If not, you know, keep us posted. We can share some updates there. 
Um, so one of them I do want to share, which is in the report, is um, actually a shift in our tier two delivery. Um, artists have shifted onto SIPs, which is a structured literacy foundational skills specific program that can be used either for tier one or tier two intervention. So that has been a significant change in the materials and the practices within tier two intervention within the district. Um, the other thing I do want to emphasize, which I think research would tell us, is that um, the strongest tier two intervention is high quality tier one. Um, so I do just want to emphasize the importance of shifting tier one instructional practice within the classroom. Um, and in particular, when we talk about our goals, both in 1.1 and 1.3, um, for folks who maybe hadn't done the deep dive within the TNTP audit, I'm happy to call out a couple of specific measures there. Um, but one of the things that TNTP, who's actually here if there are follow-up questions, um, did for us within the audit is a component that they refer to as the equity audit, which is really trying to understand based on classroom demographics the difference in the quality of tier one instruction. Um, so in their spring 2022 audit, I'll just call out some of the statistics that they found, um, which is one, um, a classroom with more students of color is 96% more likely to have worse instruction um, and 2.9 times more likely to have lower expectations from the staff in terms of multilingual learners. Um, a class with more multilingual learners is 10% more likely to have lower quality assignments, 18% more likely um, to actually have better instruction, which is an interesting shift, and then 89% more likely to have lower expectations from the teachers. And so I just want to name when we talk about um, that focus on tier one in order to decrease tier two, um, in particular for classrooms with higher populations of African-American students, of Pacific Islander students, of multilingual students with 1.1 and 1.3, that focus on tier one is meant to decrease tier two in particular and increase the quality of instruction. Sorry, I just had my son texting me. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm here now though. Um, one, the question I have is that this is a three year plan. And so working backwards, I'd like to understand how often we'll hear from you all, what the monitoring progress looks like. Um, and this is not, not to, I am not asking you to do additional work. So maybe actually the question is, how is um, how are you monitoring and cabinet monitoring progress, um, and when when do you intend to be um, bringing us up to speed on how the full implementation is going? Um, yeah. So you'll, there'll be two times we we share. So one is when we present the uh, curriculum for adoption, you'll get uh, all the data that supports which one we're adopting and what the teachers experience. And then we have a spring goal one progress monitoring as well that you'll, uh, you'll hear from us. Internally, you heard um, you know, the structures that we have at the, um, our, uh, it actually starts at cabinet where we uh, devote um, cabinet time to looking at our, our vision values, goals, and guardrails. And that sample dashboard you saw is what we work on at the cabinet level. Then you hear the instructional cabinet. Um, and then there's the work uh, in the lead team meetings. And so it does, to use AJ's word, cascading uh, out. And so I think the closer you are to the classroom, the more, you know, the more frequently you're looking at the, uh, you know, the 
uh, implementation data and the ongoing progress, and then the further away we get, we're looking more at the system level data. And um, so every cabinet meeting we have uh, left an hour to look at the progress monitoring. So um, we just did one yesterday, and we'd be happy to share with you the agenda so that you can actually see. We looked at the logic model, and for each of the activities we rated, we did a self-assessment on two things, reach and effectiveness. Did we manage to reach everyone we wanted to with that activity? And what was the effectiveness, rate, self-rate, the effectiveness of that implementation? Next, we said, identify one adult outcome or output. You know, the differences in school or teachers that you feel you have impacted and state who, how, why that happened. So that's what we collected just yesterday at Cabinet. So, you know, there's an agenda, and we, we go through the logic models and, you know, unpack those. Okay, so then can I go to street level? Um, that's really helpful. That, that I appreciate having that context of how you, you're working at the, at the um, executive level. And so at the, at the street level, at the school site level, um, I think you already gave some examples, but I, I am curious if how you're seeing your requests or need reflected in um, decision making or additional supports coming through. How much do you feel or, that you build on your own and what is shifting? I mean, this is not to put you on the spot because I know I just did. I just totally put you on the spot. But if there's a way you want to answer that question that feels comfortable for you, um, we would love to hear it. But, you know, I'm, I'm just curious because it sounds like a lot is changing and I'm just wondering how it's, it's feeling and if you're seeing that. I mean, I, it is definitely feeling mo more cohesive in the last couple of years than before that and not just from the pandemic, but I did start before the pandemic, so I did have a year and a half before we had to all go home in this role. Um, so yes, it's we're, I'm experiencing it as a more cohesive as a whole, just with all the things that Dr. Aguilera-Fort mentioned, and including like the CCT, the instruction that the school social worker is getting, the instruction that the school nurse is getting, like all of it matches much more than ever before for like what I get in my bulletin that then I'm supposed to make happen and when I go ask the person whose job it is how that's going they have had the same messaging and then the other thing I would say um, in response is that anytime I need something that I feel that I don't have I ask my lead and they help me get that done and if I don't know who I'm supposed to email they help me know who it is and so that we can email them together and um, remove barriers and keep things moving along. So I think this, the lead structure is a huge, um, brings a lot of cohesion for site leaders and then the structures are actually more cohesive as well. I really appreciate that. I know we've had quite some questions that have been brought forward around um, the, res the resource const constraints that we're concerned about coming forward and I do think there have been many opportunities for greater cohesion 
efficiency, collaboration. So it's really nice to hear that that is, is starting is being experienced, not just starting to be experienced. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, and this is now I'm out of my, I'm not doing very good board governance question answer, but I will say like um, all the concerns around costs of implementing this, I actually <laughs> feel a relief to not be spending money on things that are not working and not being, not, um, not be asking our educators to do the labor and the workaround because they haven't had the support that they needed from the district. And so while I do see in March, yes, we will be asked and we will support um, new curriculum, but it is a very long time coming. It is something that districts ought to be doing regularly. So I just, I actually am feeling gratitude and some and a measure of relief hearing about hearing about how in depth the pilot has been the progress that is being made and the commitments going forward i mean that said we will be monitoring um, and it's not certainly not set it and forget it i don't want to make that mistake because just because you have good curriculum doesn't mean that kids are experiencing it and learning it but i um I think that this is reflective of the kind of change. And frankly, you know, this is a result of a decision to strategically abandon something that wasn't working. And it frankly took longer than it ought to have, I would argue, from where I'm sitting as far as the, the curriculum that hasn't been working for our kids. So I really appreciate um, the candor and the commitment that I have heard tonight. And um, I am excited for our kids to be better positioned and to be successful and our educators to be better positioned to be successful and the whole system to be um, centered on our kids and their learning. So thank you very much. Um, I, and I just, on that same theme, um, also really excited about the curriculum because I think I think one of the most important things that was said tonight was, was uh, Ms. Tierney, is that right? Tenny, sorry, Tenny, that said, I can't tell you how much time I've saved this year. And I think that, like, in terms of thinking about resources, like, your time is the most precious resource we have as a school district and the most important resource we have. So I just want to lift that up and, and um, think about it. What I want to say to that is um, we have been supplementing um, for um, programs that need a lot of supplementing. So that's what I meant when I said we're saving time. Um, but I also want to talk about what you said about trust. And I want to talk about something. I listen to the board meetings. I'm also a parent in the district, so I listen to the board meetings. And you said something that I've thought about a lot. Uh, there's broken trust. And it comes from the top all the way down. We're all healing. And we're, you know, we're, we're, we're all trying to you know, make peace with one another with the world, you know. Um, so I just want to say, Commissioner Bogus, I, I hear what you're saying. And um, you, we don't want curriculum that's just going to sit on a shelf. And we, we, we don't want it just to be another thing that we're saying that we're doing, another talking piece, and it doesn't reach our students. That hasn't been my experience. Um, but I, I want to say I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think we need the supports at the sites 
in our classrooms to make sure that our kids have access to the curriculum. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm also wondering what that's gonna look like. And thank you, and thank you for what you said, because I, I really understand, um, I understand your point. Thank you. Yeah, and I think the whole, not to speak of the whole board, but I mean, I think we all recognize that trust gap. And I think that's also why when we express skepticism, just to be clear, that's partly that's our job as we've been trained by the Council of Great City Schools is we're supposed to be skeptical. And I think that authentically reflects the values of the San Francisco community and parents and teachers and everybody's skeptical, right? Central office folks are skeptical. Everybody's skeptical, right? Because of that, I think you described it really well. And, and so it's, it, is a, it is a healing and a rebuilding of, of, of that mutual accountability. Right, but I, I really think we need to start changing the conversation when we're working together, because I feel like um, we've, we've had a, um, a lot of things have been broken this year, not to open up old wounds, but there, a lot of things have been broken. And um, I think we need to change the, culture, the, the conversation where we work together and try to uphold one another. Definitely, yeah. I had a, a small request um, as we move forward. Um, one thing I didn't see explicitly in this monitoring report, um, thinking about the curriculum, is our, our guardrail on curriculum and instruction. So I would, when, when we come back in March, March right, for the adoption, um, it would be really helpful to me if it was, if the proposal was aligned to that guardrail, which I think is, it has, you know, the curriculum that is rooted in excellence, challenging and engaging, student-centered, culturally responsive, and differentiated to meet the needs of students. It seems like it likely adheres to those, <laughs> I imagine, but I would just love to see, like, if we could, because we're trying to do better also at aligning our questions and our work to those. Like, that's what the board should be in. Like, if we start asking you about other things, you know, keep us focused on the goals, the guardrails, um, legal compliance, the budget. Like, those are our... That's our area, um, and you're, you all are doing your job and doing it well, so we're appreciative. Final comments from commissioners or staff in response to the last comment? Okay, I will make a last comment and then we'll transition to public comment um, and then we'll move towards adjournment. Um, but just once again, want to thank staff, the superintendent and um, our, our school site leaders and teachers for being here today and for all that you're doing to support our schools. Um, I'm really excited and happy about the progress that's being shown um, and the shifts that we're hearing are happening in the district that reflect the direction that we're trying to go and trying to get out of um, the deficit place that we're in. Um, I think also just to kind of highlight that, that even though we are making progress, it, it's unacceptable for us to be off track on our interim goals or our larger goals. And we really need to have an honest conversation about what does it take for us to move from being off track to being on track um, and how the board um, can really support and ensuring that we're doing everything we can to make sure the resources are there to make sure the work is done. Because uh, I think our expectation for all of you is for you to be the best versions of your success, of your and help students to do the same. Um, and seeing that we're off track, it means that we're falling short of that. And so how are we going to support and see that shift? And I know that we'll continue to have those conversations with the superintendent and the leadership team um, and families about how we continue our progress and really show um, the success of our, our commitments and our, our passions. 
Uh, and with that, we will end the board's discussion. We will go to public comment. We will see how many public comment cards we have in person, as well as making the call for uh, public comment virtually. And we'll also give the board a moment to return um, to our other seats as we prepare. And once again, thank you to all the presenters and everyone. So much appreciation. All right, we'll begin uh, in-person public comment. I do have one card. You'll have one minute to speak. William Patterson, you can come to the podium. And just a reminder that all public comment this evening will need to be on the workshop items. I'm Will Patterson. I'm a former resource specialist with the district. And um, I left because special education is understaffed and it needs more staffing. And we heard about budget cuts. This does relate being made by not filling open positions and about 300 my latest count of those positions are special education. And um, I'm not sure, nobody's really said it's this position or that position that's gonna get cut. So we don't have a way of knowing if it's special education that's getting cut or not. So I'd like that to be clarified. And I bring it up because in the discussion tonight, several times people said, how do you plan to implement this program? And what cuts, how are you gonna do that with cuts being made? And if all of the cuts are landing on special education, that's disproportionate. Some of these cuts need to come from tier one, tier or from tier two um, literacy. I mean, I don't see how you can't. What I would like to suggest is that the, I'm sorry, I'm gonna run out of time. So what I would like to suggest is that the training for teachers be given priority and that the, the pulling students out for tier two be relegated to pushing in or having teachers do the small groups in their own classrooms. If more of that small group work happened in classrooms, then the teachers would be, then the people would be available to do training and you might actually be able to cut some of the staff from tier two and move those positions open to tier three. And I think people from tier two would move into positions in tier three if some of their positions were consolidated, which might solve the staffing problem in tier three. That's my second comment. Thank you, that concludes in-person public comment. If we could do the announcement for our virtual public comment. At this time, we will uh, take 
uh, public comment from our virtual participants. A gentle reminder, each speaker will have one minute. And um, we are taking public comment on the workshop on student outcomes. This is our uh, progress monitoring for goal one, and that's third grade literacy. Can we please have that repeated in Spanish and Chinese? Buenas noches a todos aquellos participantes. Por favor, levanten su mano. Tienen todos un minuto solamente y tiene que estar relacionado al tema que se tomó el día de hoy. Gracias. Thank you. Aaron? Aaron? Vanessa? Hi, good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Thank you. I want to thank all the commissioners for their work tonight. One of the things that I, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of things, but one of the things I want to encourage you to focus on is your family partnership, right? I heard one of um, Matt's cabinet members talk about all these teams he has at a meeting, and I think that's really great. But we need family liaisons, parent liaisons. We need actually community partners at these meetings. We need to work as a whole. I really do believe that that is going to help. That is going to be how we lift this, at these educational goals. So I'm going to continue to encourage everyone to work together and let's get all different types of stakeholders on on one meeting to talk about these goals around learning. Thank you. Thank you. Supriya? Hi, thank you. This is Supriya Lake-Pelling, and I wanted to follow on to Mr. Patterson's comment. I was actually going to ask about SPED as well. Um, one thing I was wondering was whether anyone is looking at how students with IEP, looking at the data on how students with IEPs are doing. As I understand, those students are a large percentage of our student population, so that would seem to be critical to look at. And also, how and whether we'll be able to meet the uh, staffing needs for these students given the budget cuts and staffing issues that we know exist in SSUSD. I would have liked to hear more about that given how many students in our district um, have IEPs or need additional assistance with literacy. Thank you. Thank you. Guest from Decoding Dyslexia. Uh, hi, um, uh, my name is Megan Potente, and I'm co-state director for the Grassroots Literacy Advocacy Group Decoding Dyslexia California. I'm a, a, a former SFUSD teacher, parent, and the co-leader of the San Francisco Dyslexia Parent Support Group. I want to express immense appreciation for all of the work that has been dedicated to early literacy. The presentation today made clear uh, just what hard work this is and also the level of attention the early literacy goal requires. 
It's about a lot more than just new curriculum. Improving early literacy outcomes requires sustained effort, and clearly this process has just begun. Given the budget cuts, please continue to be strategic and not lose sight of this critical early literacy goal. I'm looking forward to learning more about the cuts that will be made and the plan to continue supporting teachers and students in the rollout. Um, so thank you so much, and I look forward to updates on this goal. Thank you. Nicole? Uh, good evening. My name is Nicole Gondutano. I'm a mom to two elementary age students in the district, a long-term educator, and part of SF Parents. I just want to say I acknowledge and are immensely appreciative of the changes that the district and our schools are making. Um, these are not small but mighty um, changes, and we're optimistic um, that the district uh, will meet its uh, ambitious goals over time. Um, literacy is a civil right, and SFUSD must deliver on its responsibilities to ensure that we can not only meet, but exceed the goals set. Imagine a district where all students meet their goals, no matter their school, race, ethnicity, income, or uh, the need for additional special education services. One crucial aspect of uh, all of this working is successful implementation and the investment in time and resources for professional development and ongoing training for school leaders. Um, and we urge the district to continue to prioritize this critical element as they make hard choices around budget and planning for this year and future years. Achieving these goals are going to be, uh, uh, will happen um, with strong partnership between districts, schools, teachers, and parents. Um, between now and the decision on Nicole, I, I am sorry to have to interrupt you. That is your time. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah? Hi, my name is Sarah Maskin. I am a uh, SFUSD parent. My kids go to Daniel Webster. I'm also a fellow public school educator. Um, I really appreciate, like other people have said, all the work that the district has done about this. Um, I just have some questions regarding how this works with the budget. I would really like some transparency with how we're going to be able to afford all of this, given some of the problems we've had with the budget. In addition, I just want to really urge the board and the district in general to make a plan for how to get a lot of this information out to parents, particular parents who don't have the privilege or don't have the time to listen to board meetings. I think it's really important to think about how we're going to communicate a lot of these changes um, and a lot of the different types of curriculum that are going to be introduced to parents. So thank you, and I urge you to think about those questions. Thank you. Haba? Hi. Um, first, I just want to thank you for all of these amazing changes that are coming down the pipeline. Uh, personally, it is, um, I'm just grateful. Um, second, um, what I'd like to highlight again is I am concerned that the interim goals do not specify nor measure students with IEPs, low-income families, homeless families, and foster care youth. I think it's imperative that we know this data. I think it's imperative that you know this data. The other thing is, as you're going through professional development and collaboration, 
I would like to request that RSPs and SPED educators are also learning about the STAR assessments as well as structural literacy and the science of reading. They need that information as well because there's a high turnover. In addition, I'd like to see collaborations at the site between gen ed and SPED educators because general ed educators also might benefit from learning more about how students with learning differences need, you know, what they need in order to be successful. And finally, we need more professional development days before school Thank you, Hava. I'm so sorry to have to interrupt you. Okay. That is your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mohit. Hello, everyone. Mohit from Parents for Public School of San Francisco. Uh, thank you for your hard work and dedication in supporting our schools. Let's stay focused on our goals and ensure our curriculum aligned with our objectives for the benefit of our students. I appreciate the effort to expand after-school programs, setting an example for the fostering of well-rounded education for our students. Thank you. Thank you. Aaron? Aaron? Yes, hi. Um, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Sorry, sorry, I was having some technical trouble before. Um, I wanted, uh, my name's Aaron, I'm a parent from public schools in San Francisco, and I wanted to just quickly say I appreciate the presentation from Glen Park Elementary. It looks like they're doing fabulous work, and I just want to see how we can incorporate that into the rest. Excuse me. Of the district, um, with their retention of teachers and teachers then knowing the community and knowing how to best alter their curriculum. Um, my concern is I noticed that in the detailed graph from the uh, reading um, retention readiness um, levels that there are certain groups that are not included like English second learners, populations with an economic, um, economic um, details um, of their family, um, people with special, in special education, um, and uh, foster youth. And so I'm curious to see that breakdown. Thank, thank you, Erin. That is your time. I'm sorry to have to interrupt you. Thank you. That does conclude. Oh, sorry, we have one more. Efrain. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, thank you so much for the presentation. It was very, very informative. We really, really welcome the, the uh, openness and the way to hear the discussion. Um, I have a question. Uh, I, I understand the premise that in order for uh, student outcomes to improve, uh, adult behaviors need to change, and, and, and I really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand that premise, and, and it's super helpful to, to see where 
you know, the trajectory around uh, informing the, the professional development of teachers and really helping the practice and the craft. However, I'm, one, I'm trying to connect the thoughts in terms of what ultimately that will lead to improving the academic outcomes and when it, it, you know, is that projected to happen. I know that we have long-term goals, um, but the reality is the way that our students are, uh, the, the data that, you know, that we see right now, uh, the action needs to happen right now. So I'm wondering if meanwhile, as we're trying to you know, unveil this plan and, and, and you know, figure out the implementation, um, to also emphasize the, the, the proven strategies that work. Thank you, Efrain. I'm sorry to have to interrupt you. That is your time. That does conclude virtual public comment. Okay, and with that, we will close out on public comment uh, for our workshop today. Uh, item E, which is attached to the board agenda with questions and answers regarding agenda items. Just want to highlight for the public, thank you again for providing public comment. Uh, we do not respond to public comment or answer questions, uh, but the board is committed to transparency, so feel free to email if you want questions answered, and there will be more available documents in the future that kind of outline our plan and strategy and give more clarity for folks. And with that, we adjourn this meeting at 842.